You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Hello there, children of God. We are First Christian Albuquerque, and we are delighted that you are here. In fact, our mission is follow Jesus. And if you're interested in following Jesus, we want to follow Jesus with you. So come join us. Well, happy Smoky Sunday to you. So glad we could see balloons through the smoke, right? I kind of knew we were in for something when I came down the stairwell. There's a little, a little window at the top of the stairwell where I like to look out and see the stars in the darkness, and I saw no stars at all. So I'm kind of glad to be wearing my mask around outside to filter out some of this smoke. I don't know if it's a sign of anything. I, I just don't know. But do you find yourself looking for signs in the stars, in the smoke that's around us, maybe even in seeing balloons that are flying? Signs of hope, signs of something. Maybe we're even asking God for signs because we're dealing with difficult issues in our own life. Maybe being workaholics. Maybe being addicted to shopping or pornography. And we want God to just do something to break in and change that. Maybe we find ourselves obsessed at looking downward at our phone 24-7, bumping into walls, bumping into people. Maybe we're just battling with things that it's hard to get other people to understand. It's even those that we love, we're not able to communicate what we're wrestling with. And we, we just want God to give us an answer, to give us a reasoned, rational argument, to give us a sign of some sort, maybe even a strategy or a path, a way of illuminating things. Today we're going to be looking at those battles, a battle that's a battle for our own heart. And we take again the dusty papyrus of these ancient stories to look for guidance, to look for insight and wisdom. And there are lots and lots of signs in the book that we've been looking at, many of them. And there's so many of them that you might wish that you want one of these signs for you, to show you the way. Or maybe there's so many of them that it almost feels like a cheesy old DVD movie with a cover where you think, I don't even want to bother to watch that. It looks too fake. These can't be true. Well, nonetheless, this story, it's the second book in the Bible. The second book in the Hebrew Bible. Second book in the Pentateuch. The second book in all of these gatherings of Scripture. In fact, even Muslims look to the Pentateuch as having wisdom and insight. Right? So these are stories that have been around a very long time. And you know them. Even non-believers know these signs. We've seen Charlton Heston part the Red Sea in the Universal Studios parking lot. Talk about old, talk about maybe a cheesy uh, technology compared to today's standards, right? Well, here, here in, these, uh, in these signs that we're looking at, I, I kind of wonder from you, in a book that's filled with the Red Sea parting, and bread from heaven coming, and the Nile being turned to blood, and frogs coming from everywhere, and gnats. Is there a sign that's most impressive to you in the Exodus? 
Anybody want to call one out? Is it the burning bush? Is it the Red Sea? Is it one of these? Maybe? You guys usually aren't quiet. The plague, all of them? Just all of them together. Yep, yep. Anybody else? Well, with these stories, there are a lot. I mean, how many of us have seen a VBS or we've taken smoke bombs, thrown them into a dried up bush? How many of us have tried to figure out ways to part those Red Seas in a way that would be convincing for children to believe these stories? How many of us have functioned almost like religious zealots to try to prove all of these, almost as if it's a science experiment, to prove every single one? Well, today, I, I want to look at six chapters. Can you believe that? I hope you had a good meal this morning. I hope you're bright-eyed. As much as I'd like to get into all the nits and grits and sand granules of this text, I want us to get a sweep of what's happening with these plagues. What happens with these signs? Almost as if we're listening to audiobooks, clips, segments. And the way I want to do it today is to look at three characters, three groups of characters, and how they engage these signs. So the first is Moses. In the end of chapter 6, in the book of Exodus, verse 29, God tells Moses again, I am that I am. I want you to go to Pharaoh. Tell him everything that I have to tell him. And Moses, again, says, Well, but I'm not such a good speaker. What if Pharaoh doesn't believe me? Really? Are we there again? Is it still? Yes, over and over again. But honestly, aren't, aren't we kind of there too? When we know what needs to be done, when we're asked what needs to be done, and our insecurities come first. Our imperfections are on full display. All of our mistakes keep us from wanting to do what God tells us to do. We feel our weaknesses. Folks, God is not limited by your weaknesses. He wasn't limited by Moses, and he's certainly not going to be limited by any one of us. If you find yourself focused in on your imperfections, well, welcome to the Moses Club, first off. We're all there. We all feel that. And I want you to listen to what is said by God in chapter 7, verse 1. God, to reassure Moses, says, Moses, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Wow, okay. Like God. I want you to hear that. I want you to receive that. I want you to dwell in that. I know that your name is not Moses, but God makes Moses like God. Not capital G God. He doesn't replace himself with Moses, but in the same way that he created us in his image, he makes Moses like God where Moses can go confident in God's ability and who God is and stand before Pharaoh and speak what needs to be spoken. That's kind of a message that I need to hear at times. That might be kind of intimidating for any of us to hear that God makes us like God and says, I understand your imperfections. I'm not asking you to be God. I'm asking you to go on my behalf. 
Well, that's Moses. Another big character who comes up over and over again, seems kind of flat to this point, is Pharaoh. Pharaoh, powerful, great God, Pharaoh. Well, as the, the refrain goes throughout the, all of these ten plagues, Pharaoh's heart is hardened to Moses' request to let the people go. Do we know that? I mean, is that not familiar? Let my people go. Pharaoh says no. A plague ensues. Pharaoh's heart remains hardened even after Moses takes away the plague. That's the scene over and over again in chapter 4, in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, over and over again. We get it. And this is Pharaoh's brush with the fear, with God. He gets this brush over and over again, this interaction where he gets face to face with God by looking at the face of Moses. Now, if you'll humor me, we're going to come back to Pharaoh. But for right now, Pharaoh is this flat character who's always hardening his heart. The one I want to spend a little time on is Pharaoh's officials, the third one. Pharaoh's officials, his magicians, his high-ranking folks. Now these folks are interesting if we examine them for how they change, how they develop as characters through this story. In the first three signs, the sign of the Nile being uh, changed into blood, the frogs, the flies, in each one of them, the magicians of Pharaoh are able to duplicate what Moses does. And it's almost like a comedy show more than it is a science experiment because they copy all of these things. Now, what makes it funny to me is that they don't take away the plague. They don't eliminate the Nile turning into red blood. They don't take away the frogs. They just make more. <laughs> they make it worse. And that's kind of funny to me. As much as they would try, they only make things more difficult on themselves. Even, and this gets me to laughing a little bit, when, the, when uh, Moses throws down the snake, or throws down his rod, and it becomes a snake, they're like, no problem, we can do that. All of them throw their snakes, or their staffs down, and they become snakes, which us, you know, we're back thinking, wow, how do they do this? What's the technology behind this? And in a funny move, Aaron's rod eats up all the other snakes. Now, that was not lost to these magicians and high-up officials. For the snake of Aaron to absorb and eat up all of their staffs, their snakes, and then you pick it up again, and now Aaron's staff contains all of that power. That wasn't lost to them. But by the time we get to the fourth one, gnats, they can't copy it. What? Are you kidding me? They can't make a fake copying miracle of conjuring up gnats? Now, I don't know about you, but if it's gnats or mosquitoes, I think I could get a few in a little bag. I, I could kind of conjure up some gnats, but they can't do that? Well, whatever the case, they can't do it. And in chapter 8, verse 18, they confess. They look at Pharaoh and they say, this surely is the finger of God, because Moses has created gnats from dust. Okay, I can see the scowl on Pharaoh's face. How about you? Are you kidding me? My own higher-up officials are confessing that this is from the finger of God and not from me? Well, as the comedy story goes, the magicians disappear. <laughs> 
For the next several plagues, they're not mentioned at all. They, they don't copy the tricks. They don't try. They, they're not there at all. They don't show up again until the sixth plague, the boils. And in the boils, they have so many boils on their feet that they can't even stand up. Now, are you seeing this progression? They're opponents of Moses. They are copying Moses' signs, and now they can't do them at all. And they confess, this is from the finger of God. And we get to the pivotal one verse uh, of chapter 9, and I'm going to read starting in verse 13. This is the seventh plague, and this is where I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I'm going to read our text for today. This is the snippet that I've chosen. If you're not able to stand, that's fine. Just come to attention in your hearts. Exodus 9:13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go so that they may worship me. For this time I will send my plagues upon you yourselves and upon your officials and upon your people, so that you may know that there is like no other like me on the earth. For now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and the people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But this is why I have let you live, to show my power and to make my name resound throughout all the earth. You are still exalting yourselves over the people. And you will not let them go. Tomorrow at this time I will cause the heaviest hail to fall that has ever fallen in Egypt. From that day it was founded until now. Send therefore and have your livestock and everything that you have in the open field brought to a secure place. Every human, animal that is in the open field and not brought under the shelter will die when the hail comes down upon them. Those officials who feared the word of Yahweh, hurried their slaves and their livestock to a secure place. Those who did not regard the word of the Lord, who left their slaves and their livestock in the field. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, with this one, we get a big shift, don't we? We get a warning. They get an alert on their phone, hail is coming. Okay, no, they didn't have apps. They didn't get this alert. But God gives them a chance. Look, if you fear what I'm saying, then protect yourselves. And we get for the first time this description that those who fear the Lord protected their slaves, protected their livestock, got them out of the open field and into protected areas. And that's amazing. Because the big problem here is that Pharaoh has exalted himself above God. He's not letting the people go. And God's intent of not just wiping them all out is to show the power of the name of Yahweh so that everyone would know that's what he wants to happen. The power faced off against Yahweh would fall. And now, you know, we look at our own lives. We know that we face Pharaoh's. There are a lot of things that draw us away from worshiping God. Things that distract us. Sometimes work, sometimes family, sometimes very important things that we have to do. Sometimes even good things, like the study of Scripture. 
draws us away from worshiping and focusing in upon God. And here with this warning, we get the officials that have a chance to show their that they fear God. And those that take the precautions represent that they fear God. Those that don't, that do nothing, obviously are able to face the hail. In the next plague, it's kind of similar. In the next plague, there's a warning about locusts. The locust destroys everything. And again, when we look at these things, we see that it's not so much about land or about country or about natural disasters. It's about transformation and change. And with these magicians and, and officials, we kind of see change. From opposing Moses to pointing to this being the finger of God, to getting to the point in the seventh one where they observe what God is saying, to now in this eighth one, when they themselves go to Pharaoh and say, call it off. Don't let this guy keep causing these plagues on us. Listen to him. Don't you care that Egypt is being destroyed? They move to being advocates. Now, in the 31st verse of chapter 9, we find out that they don't really fear the Lord, neither does Pharaoh. And this is the snippet where I want to jump back to our character number two, Pharaoh. Let's look back in on him. Because we missed what happened to him in this seventh plague. He, after he sees all that happens with this hail, says in verse 27 of chapter 9, I was wrong. God is right. I have sinned. Would you forgive me? Would you pray for me? Really? Wow. Pharaoh said that? Yeah, go back and look at it. It's the first time of two. Because it happens again in chapter 10 where he says, I was wrong. I sinned. Please forgive me. Pray to God on my behalf. Now you kind of have to watch out. Whenever leaders assume, whenever political leaders assume that they're confessing God. You just have to watch out. Because you have to watch more of their actions, and that's exactly what happens with Pharaoh and with these officials. What they say is different from what they do. And the measure of the heart is really actually how we live and how we act in this world. So here, we get to the end of this story. And we get to the point where we've seen all of these plagues. And I asked you at the beginning, those of us longing for and wanting a sign, what's the most impressive sign in among all these plagues? And I have to tell you what it is. The most impressive sign is not what you think. It's the fact that people worship God. That's the sign. That's what this whole comedy show is trying to portray. In chapter 3, verse 12, that's what God said. You're going to know that I'm God when you come back and worship on this mountain. And it happened in chapter 4. And it happened at the end of chapter 12, whenever the death of the firstborn took place. They worshipped God. The people of God worshipped God. And they did what was required of them, and they left Egypt. So, it doesn't take believing all of these signs to be true. Does that sound too crazy? 
if this is something that's too hard for you to fathom, the point of this is the sign that they began to worship God outside of Egypt. The focus is not on all of these little frogs and boils and gnats. That's pretty profound. Because today, 4,000 years later, we're still talking about this group of people. And we're not necessarily talking about snakes. We're talking about a group of people that worshipped outside of Egypt because the hand of God brought them out. That is powerful. When we look at a story like this and we see Pharaoh and we think about our own desire for signs, our own insecurities like Moses, you're going to catch me in the lobby, I know, and say, well, what about Pharaoh's heart being hardened? You haven't said enough about that, Brady. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Folks, God wanted nothing more than Pharaoh to worship him. He drug it out. He preserved Pharaoh's life in an effort for Pharaoh to come to him. God knows our hearts. Our hearts betray us. Our hearts have made choices all throughout our lives, and a lot of times it can be seen. If you watch us and you watch how we act, you know where our heart is. You know what we're about and what we're focused in on. And some people's hearts simply respond to God in different ways. Have you heard this before? That if you think of your heart as being either butter or clay, if one of those is exposed to sun, it melts like butter. When clay is exposed to sun, what happens to clay? It gets harder and harder. God has given us our hearts. God has given us our kingdoms to do with what we choose to. And we can so train ourselves, so train our hearts over the course of our lives that, that we become like butter. Whenever we're exposed to the sunlight of God, we can also so train our hearts where they're like clay, where the more and more we come in contact with God, the more and more we see what God wants, it just makes us harder and more and more hardened and more and more set against God. We have a choice in the matter. And God is working with each one of us in the terrain of our hearts. Did you notice that with each of the characters that I pulled out? With Moses, he's gently pulling him along and saying, I'm not concerned about your weaknesses. I'm not concerned about your imperfections. I'm God. Come with me. With Pharaoh, it's the same with the Hebrew people. If you need evidence that it's the sign of the worship of God or the fear of God, just remember that all of these people saw these signs. Pharaoh, the officials, the Hebrews. Did it keep them from at times not believing? No, it wasn't bulletproof. At times, they wrestled in their faith with God. But the question that comes to us is whether or not we will fear Yahweh. Will we respect God? Will we live in this changed reality? A reality where we don't always just see the problem as someone else. It's their fault. It's their cause for my difficulties. It's not about one bad regime or one bad leader or, or one race or my inability or my ability or my disability. It's not about those things. It's about whether or not you and I will trust God. Will I, in my heart of hearts, set up a throne room 
for God to rule and God to reign as God intends. I am thankful that God didn't overpower Pharaoh, aren't you? He didn't force him to believe. He gave him that choice. With us, too, the choice is in front of us of how we will choose to live in this life. Are we going to trust our fears, those things that drag us down, the noise and the static of our world, or are we going to trust God? Right? Isn't that what our series is about? Trust being greater than or equal to fear? Will we let the trust of God be our true fear? Will we believe that God is greater than and equal to the challenge of meeting our fears? That he can see those fears. He knows what they are. And as we articulate them to him, God is able to come alongside of us. In the same way, we've talked about dividing and conquering being a, a, a useful way to divide people. Separating them up, getting them to, to, to squabble with one another. Thinking about controversies and differences of opinion, it's easy to divide and conquer a people if you point them against one another. The same thing happens in our hearts, where our heart is divided, where it's not truly worshiping God and God alone, where we're more concerned with other things. Folks, we trust God. We worship God. We are the people who are following Jesus. And again, I will say, if you're looking for a group of people to follow Jesus with, I can't tell you what a great group this is. I just can't say enough. Here, as we gather as a group of people with early risers and our late risers who savor their coffee, this is a group of people who sold on following Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you for these old words, old stories that have formative power on us today. They speak to us. And we come to you and we verbalize quietly the fears that we face. What most concerns us. What has us drugged down. And we lay them at your feet. And we invite you, God, to take center of stage of our hearts. To sit on the throne of our heart. To be the God that wants to partner with us. God, would you make that true for each one within the sound of my voice today? And we pray all this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.